Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Conferred Culture, brought to you by Timotheries, the podcast where we talk about the topics that many of us are passionate about. I'm your host, Chris Murphy, and this week I'm joined by... Don Bartlett. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the power of music. So, uh, I, once again, I brought Don along on this episode because he is a musician and he can definitely lend his um, expertise to the subject. And typically... Um, when I kind of think about music in general, in terms of the power of it, I, there's, there's a whole bunch of things that come to mind. For example, for me, it can sort of evoke memories or take you to a different place in time. But like, I'd be interesting to sort of just start off with your thoughts about it, Don. Oh, the power of, of music. Well, it's, it's a big topic. I mean, it definitely has a, a power to it as someone who, has dedicated their life to music. <laughs> and it seems so every day to me, music, I'll just get up and a lot of what I do in my day revolves around helping people get towards their musical goals or doing some editing or video shoot that's for a project that I'm working on mm-hmm. or even just dry stuff like contacting parents and especially now, I, I'm, I've had to get in touch with so many students and so many parents that had stopped taking lessons in around March when the pandemic hit. So mm-hmm. I've had to, you know, do that sort of business side of things where you have to make phone calls and, you know, sell yourself, make sure that everyone feels safe. And that's all to do with the music in the end. It's I am a teacher trying to make a paycheck, I guess you could think of it like that. But my vocation and my passion to do the job is to just jam with the kids and and jam with the adults too, and make that human connection. It's almost like just a a really special part of the day to, to communicate with people. And uh, I mean, I can talk forever about why it's powerful in, in, in my own life. I mean, um, my mom is a music teacher and I've been, I've been exposed to music from a very young age. And my dad's a music lover. He's an athlete, but he's also a a music lover and he always had music on in the car. There's so many, there's so many albums that remind me so much of just driving around with my dad. I'm sure most people have that. It's like albums that remind them of their parents or remind them of the, Mm -hmm. of the times with their parents. And as a kid, when you, you hear those they're sort of elevated to like a sacred status almost like it's like a nostalgic bonus that the album gets it's no longer just you know you're critically oh does this how does this song make me feel is it good or not it's like no that takes me back to my childhood and that's a really special thing i'm sure you have music like that yeah 100 for sure and uh you touched on a few different things actually that that i have made notes about when I would think when I was thinking about the subject, uh, specifically, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, that music can transport you to a different place in time Mm -hmm. and then it can evoke memories. Uh, For me, like uh, an example, uh, sitting on the dock of the bay uh, by Otis Redding, um, I can I'm for those people who don't know, I'm from Newfoundland. And so Mm -hmm. like I grew up by the ocean and that song, like I can almost I, I always say that I, I can almost smell the the salt air and the the sea when I'm listening to that. Oh, that's and great. I love it. Yeah, exactly. And it's just it it's elevated it to 
um, an extra special song for me. Like I would put it in my top five songs of all time, actually. And wow. uh, the other thing I was going to, that you touched upon as well, is that can kind of uh, mu- music brings people together. You mentioned your dad's an athlete, but at the same time, he is uh, an avid music lover. Mm-hmm. I imagine that he could connect with somebody who is non-athletic uh, over uh, types of songs or artists or genres that maybe totally. he wouldn't normally um, be in kind of the same social circles around. Yeah, he has a super eclectic taste too. He, he's he's hip to a lot of stuff actually. Like he, mm-hmm. he'll have, he's a big classic rock guy. He's into The Clash and The Doors but nice. of, of course, uh, I think the Beatles is one of his favorite bands, uh, mm-hmm. kind of an unpopular opinion there, but, um, <laughs> yeah, right. The, uh, some of the other stuff he, he's into, you know, I think would impress, uh, even musicians. Like he, he has Miles Davis kind of blue in his car as, as well as nice. some other, uh, some other really classic, you know, hard bop, bebop era jazz recordings mm-hmm. that, that, and that one, kind of blue is kind of the the king it's i i ble- do believe it is the greatest selling jazz record of all time and it's just it, when you listen to it you know you don't necessarily get brought to this place of bombast like oh well am i gonna be my, have my mind blown away by a bunch of kind of really obvious things that would or elements that would characterize something super amazing and but mm-hmm. it's all in the subtlety it's 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 so w- well crafted and and the behind the scenes in that album in particular is all the uh, the recordings were done i'm pretty sure in, in one take and most of it is, really? is improvised as well yeah they, they just that's the, the kind of the jazz tradition is that it just happens it's just a, a live thing what ends up being recorded is is what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Of course, they have a structure to play around, but yes. they usually play the head of the tune and then everyone will take turns soloing a little bit. But yeah, Miles Davis on, on the trumpet, it's just, it's as iconic as it gets, his sound. and mm-hmm. Yeah, people, I, I 100% agree. Yeah, and, and so just, that's not, a, I think, a, a record that a lot of people would expect, you know, just like a casual music listener t- to have and, and to know. Though it is super super well known um it's just it's like a respect thing you know <laughs> i'm glad that that's the the cds that i find in my dad's car uh, <laughs> yeah exactly it's like uh yeah i i've talked about i i have referenced my mom a number of times just talking about the type of music uh that she likes it's not an insult and i don't mean it as one but it's it's one of those things where she just wants to have something that's happy and yeah. um, that has a good beat and she can dance to, which is, which is fine. And I was going to, uh, it's, it's funny. It's in a nice segue. Cause I typically generate generally, I, I gravitate to music with a message for the most part, yeah. not a hundred percent of the time, but uh, something where the artist has something to say. And my mom's like the complete polar opposite of that. And it's, <laughs> um, it's, it's funny. Like it's, it doesn't cause any like confrontation or anything like that, but it's, uh, it's one of those things where, um, really mom aqua, <laughs> when <laughs> oh, do you well, still have the aqua CD from are we like talking 1990? Like, the nineties one? Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Some of the, so, that stuff is untouchable. I, I will say, but, uh, I, I had a, room, a roommate that was super into aqua. That's another like mm-hmm. nostalgic one. I think a lot for a lot of nineties mm-hmm. kids, they just, 
Yep. Oh, and for I, sure. I love that. I'm, I'm a nineties kid myself. So that mm-hmm. around that turn of this, of the new millennium, oh my God, there's so many really, it's this super charming point of transition between what's cutting edge and what was modern, like computerized, you know, music. Mm-hmm. And then also sort of more analog music done on, on tape and stuff. So it's, it's a really charming time i just love i'm so nostalgic towards all that even like the the branding of like the pepsi cans back then i don't know that was my favorite era of pepsi cans was right right in the (laughs) 2000s if you you might not remember what what i'm talking about but if you see it it's like oh yeah pepsi was on top at that point um i'm I'm not like a big like brand loyalist like i'm not like a even a Mm -hmm. soda drinker really much anymore but still i feel Mm -hmm. nostalgia towards that branding i remember seeing it everywhere all over billboards and it just reminds yeah, me. Yeah, I think I time. remember what you're talking about. That kind of curvy. It was like it's yeah. more. Yeah, it's, it's like really a bold, sort of really thick. Yeah, yeah, real bold, really curvy, and really like. It's it's funny actually. I, I've noticed this just with logo trends in general. How it's gone from um, straight straight and pointy serious lines in the '80s yeah. to like curvy, bombastic, bright <laughs> neon colors and all that kind of stuff in the '90s, and now it's like back to sharp, pointy, mm. serious logos again. Kind of minimalist, in- yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's interesting that way um, as an aside, but yeah, I think I remember the logo you're talking about, and uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of uh, I think I think you're right. I think like a lot of music in the '90s was kind of like that. I mean. Um, for me, I was always, and I've done a podcast on this where I talked about it. Uh, I was in, I was a uh, metal kid cause oh, I nice. was, uh, not a, not a kid, but like a teenager in the nineties. So, um, you know, and, and, and teenage boys are often mad at the world. So <laughs> <laughs> a little bit Although, of Metallica, a little bit of rage yes. against the machine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like rage was like one of my favorite bands and they still kind of are because their message is still poignant i feel but um considering what's going on in the world lately but uh yeah i mean it's something that has stuck with me but uh i still i definitely remember i was gonna say too actually that um they're the first rage against the machine album um much like uh the jazz stuff where it was very free-flowing that Mm -hmm. that that first album was quite similar and in fact they it's it's actually on the inside i remember in the um the album jacket on the inside it's it they talked about how they didn't use any sampling or um effects or um there's a whole bunch that there there was a whole bunch of things that you typically would use like uh, like editing and stuff like that to okay it was to more make their album raw. and they cool. basically it was yeah it's like a very raw that's the impression they were trying to get across there nice it's like one of their best albums i i really respect that there's something <laughs> kind of holy and sacred i to use that expression again about how many members are, are in that band is it a four piece or it's a four piece yeah. yeah so that's just legit it's i really like that where the what they're aiming at is to be able to re- reproduce everything that you're hearing in the recording just as it is live um mm-hmm. and I don't, it's a tough kind of tightrope to walk in that sense. If you're, if you're someone that values the live performance a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. you can think of yourself as a artist that might play something live and then 
that live performance has to sound just like that on the recording. Like for instance, if I'm playing a, a solo guitar piece, say I, I spend four months trying to make it the most fleshed out arrangement of where I know I'm going to be the only player on stage and I'm going to be mm-hmm. playing this thing. And then, so then when I go to my, to record this arrangement, should I then be thinking, okay, well, I need to have no layers, like no, no overdubs, basically. Like I, it will be one track the whole time because then it'll be faithful to the live performance. You know, you have to think mm-hmm. that, oh, is that going to be what I want? Or should I take the opportunity to use overdubs and to be able to layer like 50 guitar parts, you know, because imagine how amazing that would sound is basically you can duplicate yourself and with digital audio workstations. Now you have the technology to produce amazing music, you know, a lot of music that has been changing the world and, you know, winning the likes of, you know, Phineas and Billie Eilish, like 10 Grammys between them that was all done just in their bedroom. You know, they just record yeah, that. They're just kids do, do, looking at the same screen that I look at when they're yep. producing their music. And and that is like a super empowering thing for, for, for many artists. And for instance, like they'll, so then when they'll perform live, they mm-hmm. have to kind of rearrange what the track is, right? Like what the recording is, because unless they trigger all those effects, all those kind of digital effects that they have recorded into the, the song, it won't be yeah. quite like that. Like you can't recreate like the song "Bad Guy" with a with a, a four piece band. You know, like you could, no. but you'd have to be like it'd sound way different. Yeah, and I think it could sound really cool. I, I think that it would be it would be a cool ar- arranging challenge to do that. But yeah, like to, to go with Rage Against yeah. Machine, I just really like that. I I can respect that. I am a solo guitar player, so I really like that when people are thinking, okay, this recording is going to sound just like this when it's live too. And, and that's tough to pull off well, because you can really yeah. easily sound too sparse or too empty. You know, your mix won't, it won't have that really visceral dancey quality that like your mom likes. And a lot of people like, uh, and mm-hmm. it is a super special part of the power of music is the visceral nature that just people that are non-musicians, you know, you, you just hear a groove, you just hear some, some simple drum pattern and, and then they just start, you know, grooving. They start moving their head. They start tapping their foot and they're not thinking, okay, I am going to be placing my heel down on the first beat and then I'm going to clap <laughs> yeah, exactly. on the beats two and four. Like they're not thinking at this technical level. They're just doing what feels right. And that's like music. Yeah. It's like a feeling more than it is something that you have to really think about. People know what they like yeah, I- before they even try. Yeah, and I completely agree. And I mean, um, for me, like feeling music gives me that, um, you know, it makes me, if I don't feel anything when I'm listening to it, for me, it's just, it's not, it's, it's not my thing then. Like if it doesn't give me goosebumps, then I'm just, I'm not, I'm out basically. Yeah. But there's a lot of music that does that for me. And um I was going to say uh, to your point about Billie Eilish mm-hmm. uh, re- doing that on uh, her, like doing that in her bedroom. Um, Trent Reznor did his, uh, so uh, year zero, he um, mixed it while he was on tour for With Teeth and he did it all on his laptop. Nice. So yeah, it's interesting. That, and, and I was going to sort of bring it back and say, I could think it kind of when you're doing stuff like that, I think it depends what you're going for. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going for a raw sound, probably you'll do it that way. But if you're doing something 
uh, that you, if you, if you're going for something sort of more, uh, artsy or higher art or yeah, yeah, you know, something that something like that, then I think you can get away with it being different than when you play it. And in fact, I've seen Nine Inch Nails twice in concert and I was not disappointed that it sounded different. So it's one of those things. I guess my whole point is that music is really at its core. It's like a really, it's, it's art. It really, it, it's like, I, I can't really think of any other, well, there's a lot of other words that I can think to describe it, but it really is heart, uh, art and it, and it's, um, it, it convey like it's art that conveys the, the state of a person at a particular point in time and where they're at. And, uh, I feel like the best, at least for me anyway, the best artists, uh, will evolve and change in time and you'll get something different, uh, output wise from them at any particular point in their music career. So, yeah, which is an incredibly interesting thing, I think. Yeah, totally. I was, I read this one statement, this dude made, he said, people ask me if I classify myself as a, as a guitar player or a musician or an instrumentalist. And then he said, no, I'm, I'm an artist first. And all those other things are just a means to an end. Right. It's like Mm -hmm. the, basically yeah it's like I, I imagine a picture of a like a painting of a red apple or something and then you know the artist could say yes i am a professional with the rouge paint color you know <laughs> it's like you, right. that's that's basically w- what musicians are doing when they when they specify and zoom in oh yeah i did i played this instrument on this album you know mm-hmm. i think it's like if you're looking at it as this piece of art, the the album and the finished recording as different from the sum of, of all the little parts that went into it. Totally. Yeah. It is, is absolutely a piece of artwork. And I think it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting as well. Uh, a really apt comparison to, to music in terms of its context that, that I've found is, is comparing it to food, <laughs> not necessarily, <laughs> really? not, well, not necessarily, I mean, I mean, you could say in the, the, the tastes, I mean, the word tastes does lend itself where there well there, but I mean, just like to talk about what your, your mom is into, you know, she's into the stuff that's really visceral that makes her want to groove and <laughs> maybe wouldn't understand, you know, why some like maybe string quartet piece would bring someone to tears or inspire them so much, you know, that their whole day is changed or their whole month is changed after they hear Mm -hmm. something like that, like on a pure harmony level. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and I think that it's, it's about context and food is as much about context too. You know, the first thing that you do, if you wake up in the morning and then suddenly there's a, a five course meal just right there, you know, like a, imagine the most overdone, you know, lavish meal you could possibly have in front of you that you might think mm-hmm. like, whoa, 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 this is too fast. Like I haven't, I haven't even rolled out of bed yet, you know? And so that <laughs> you, you might, you might compare that to going into a, a club, like let's say like a nightclub and then they're, they're playing like this acapella choral work, you know, which <laughs> I love that. That's some, some of my favorite music is, is the really pure, just vocal harmony that, that, that is, some of the most special and some of the most moving music that I come across because 
I'm not, I'm not an overly religious person, uh, but mm-hmm. I, when people talk about the voice, uh, I've heard it, this really great description. It's like the the voice is the only instrument made by God. And I just find that so beautiful. I'm, I'm not like a, like I said, I, that, that doesn't resonate me because I'm a Christian or anything like that, but it's still a beautiful thing because, you know, the, a human being is crafted in this mysterious, you know, biological way. Whereas, you know, a guitar, you take an ax to a tree and then, you know, you put some glue and then put some strings on it. Like it's much more sort of, uh, like a tool rather than like a, a as an actual human so that, that's why the the voice is just so special but to, to talk about my point about the food analogy it's like mm-hmm. if you're in a nightclub and you're and the the goal is to you know get down and to cut a rug that night you're gonna want something that has all that poppiness you know all the all the the grooviness and that's where mm-hmm. all those top 40 songs be, don't become or they do become so much more tolerable, in my opinion, like <laughs> a lot, of, a, a lot of them, you know, you, you can go into it and think, OK, I'm going to I'm going to subject this to my delectation. And I'm going to oh, I'm going to think about all the I'm going to feel look, look for a feeling like you said, I'm going to try to get goosebumps listening to this. And it's like some shallow thing that you know maybe has a shallow lyrical content like you know you're trying to go hook up with people at the club you know like music has been in in the top 40 for 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 so long that kind Mm -hmm. of thing you you wouldn't be super you wouldn't be looking for that if you go to, to a fancy restaurant or something right you're looking for something that will be elegant and that there's a, and I'm saying that, that that top 40 stuff is, there's a context for it. Just like there's a context for, sure. for candy or for like really sweet food that you wouldn't have, you know, you can't eat cookies for dinner. You know, you would just feel sick. And that, and I think that's, that's the, the comparison I'm trying to make with like top 40 music is it's not going to have the substance of a five course meal, but it has a place and it is certainly powerful. I mean, it's making the most money out of any music that like just by definition. Um, Mm -hmm. And something I will say as well is that while maybe lyrically or like emotionally, you might say that they are kind of void of, deeper meaning some of those club bangers let's call them but what they are is a master class in in production um and in you know mixing and the actual process of making the song appeal just on a on a level where people don't have to think about it they just know oh that Mm -hmm. that song is great a lot of kids catching a lot of kids love the top 40 songs and, and kids are a great audience to expose music to because they have no bias, right? They, they're not going to be thinking, oh, my friend will think I'm a sissy if they hear that I like this yeah. song. You just like yeah. it, you know? You just know. Which there's, is a mistake. There's no, judge, there's no judgment. On the, in, yeah, exactly. Side. And I, I think that's a thing that a lot of people make. When it comes to music, generally speaking, they make a mistake. That That's a mistake a lot of people make. I mean, I, I'm not a big top 40 guy. There's some mm-hmm. stuff that I like. Uh, Adele or Lord or... Dear Rouge or yeah. Broken Bells or nice. um, yeah, I, I like Broken Bells. Uh, what's the um, uh, Miss Mister? But oh, cool, yeah. If you look at a lot of those bands, again, they kind of have 
something to say or artists. Mm -hmm. So that's why I kind of generally um, gravitate towards that. But there is something to be said, like you said, for production value. But people make the mistake of saying like um, Nickelback or like Ariana Grande or like um, Nicki Minaj or whatever, that they're they don't they don't have any talent. And that's that's simply not true. Like they 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 know their base and they know how to like there is something to be said uh, for the talent of being able to create a good hook. Totally. Like, absolutely. I, I, I couldn't like I don't think I could do it. And it's one of those things that there's some there's 100 percent something there there's there's talent there. You have to have talent to be able to create a song that uh, gets played on the radio, and makes a bunch of money like mm-hmm. you can't. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm sorry to all those people who like I like real music, so they they they're not talented. You're you're not you're just incorrect. That being said, it's 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 a you made a really good analogy with candy. It's like you, you can't eat cookies for dinner because they would make you <laughs> totally, sick. Totally, yeah. And it's that's a hundred percent. It's a hundred percent true. Now I'm not a big again. Like if I go, that's why I, I stopped going to clubs in my twenties <laughs> because I just. I, I I just couldn't. I'm I'm picky. Like I just couldn't with the music. And also too, they tend to play the same thing over and over and over totally, again, yeah. which is it's it's fine. I mean, most people are there to get drunk anyway. But um so I'll go to places where I know that they'll play at least stuff that I can uh you know, it's it's at least rock or it's something that I'm um that I can get into, but mm-hmm. to to it like it, it takes talent to to come up with a hook, and um, so my kids uh, to you made the 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 um, you you brought up the example of children. So my kids, uh, yeah, they like a lot of top forty stuff, but I'm I'm surprised how decent their musical taste is. Actually, <laughs> what are some of the songs? I want to know what what are they into. <clears throat> so uh, this is not a good example, but my son son for a while loved Starships by Nicki Minaj. Okay, that song's uh, actually but low key kind of fire. And that song is actually, I don't know. He's he's. I would say of all of all the pop songs to choose, that's not a bad one. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, yeah, great. I'm just not. That's she, she's not my. That's not my thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They like they they really really like Ed Sheeran. Okay, and so they like the Congos, and um, those are some examples I can think off the top of my head. Uh, but they know a lot of words to. It's it's kind of what they're sometimes what their mom plays, but mm-hmm. uh, they so they recently I recently um, uh, got a copy of uh, the Lego Movie two, oh, okay. and so okay. there there is a song. I mean, of course, everybody remembers um, everything's awesome. Yeah, that's the one that came and I mean that's the hookiest song ever. But there's a song also on this one that's that's really catchy too. That like even. Even though, like, again, it's I don't always gravitate to something with a message because this it's literally called catchy song, <laughs> and the the lyrics to it are um, it's so catchy, catchy. It's such a catchy song. Um, and that's gonna it. make you happy, happy. Oh. Uh, don't try to fight, just sing along. And then the chorus is: This song's gonna get stuck inside you. This song's <laughs> gonna get stuck inside your head. Great. And that's literally Idiot. all the song is. And and there is um th- there's some verses to it as well, and they talk about just how um it's gonna drive you insane and it's gonna get stuck in your brain and stuff like that. And it's it's it is a really super catchy song, but it's actually like again, I 
even I'm getting into it because it's like, hey, this is super catchy, and I know it's th- this is this is the candy yeah. that you were referring to. <laughs> you know it's what the, I mean? The, and it's self aware too, so it actually does yeah. stimulate a little bit deeper of a level of thinking because to have it, it's quite you know direct that the subject matter is working so literally from from the lyrics you know it's like Mm -hmm. a lot of times people try to (laughs) be artistic or they'll try to have words (laughs) that you know will dance around the point it's it's like so so the interpretation of of the message you know oh everyone's interpretation is correct it's like for catchy song i think there's one interpretation and (laughs) it's just gonna be clear it's just this song is catchy you're gonna get stuck inside your head that's it yeah and uh there's actually, um, I actually think the music in this one is a little better, actually, because there's a couple of really good uh, songs in it. And um, there's one at the end. And it's funny, you know, the Lonely Island. Um, right. Those okay. guys are, are yeah, they're, they're like their stuff is funny. And usually it's not age appropriate. Yeah. But they they did the the rapping and everything is awesome. And they do uh, one at the end. um um, where they're talking, they're they're just uh, basically they're just rapping about how the end of the movie is the best part, and uh, we get to read the credits, <laughs> and like wow. here's a list of all the people who slaved away in the studio doing voice work. Aren't they amazing? Wow, and it's, it's like, so tongue in cheek and and so yeah. self aware. Yeah, that's like some meta level. Um, but the beat is super catchy too, right? <laughs> I have and to so check again, it out. It's, I, I'm not familiar. It's, with it's it, that candy. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, so. I really do like the food analogy because there's all, there's a context for every type of food and just, there's also a context for most types of music too. I think people will find a lot of people won't admit that Mm -hmm. there a lot of elitists, like we were talking about, will say, Oh, well I will reject this completely. And anyone who listens to this is daft in the head. You know, it's like, I I don't, I think that, I think people have those similar feelings about, you know, food. I mean like pineapple on pizza, you know, it's like, will divide yep. crowds and people yes. b- both sides will vehemently argue you know that their point of view is correct but it's like yes. just this little this little preference by the way are you team pineapple or team no pineapple um uh so i am absolutely biased in this because when i was young i ate pineapple and got sick and i can't stand the oh, smell okay. anymore so uh fan of pineapple pineapple first. looks delicious but it's one of those things that I can't put near my nose. So I'm okay. inherently biased against pineapple on pizza. So, and it's not, it's, Fair enough, yeah, man. it's one of those things. Yeah. If I liked it, maybe, but it's because I, I, yeah, I can't even stand the smell. So yeah, I give way to that. How about you? How do you fall on that? <laughs> I, I, I'm a p- pineapple guy. I do. I, I didn't enough. always like it. I didn't always, I wasn't always an adventurous ear. It actually did, took me quite a long time to even try things. It was like, I hadn't. Me too. I hadn't tried enough food or had enough consistent joy of trying new things that I was sold on this idea of oh, if I've never eaten that before, better just shove it in my mouth. You know, like as a kid, I was wary of things that I didn't like the taste of, and it took me a long time to sort of become adventurous. And now I'm totally adventurous, uh, and I'm I'm the same way. I love. if I've never tried it, it's like a goal to try it. Like that's going to sell me on eating at a certain place because, well, I've never had this before. Well, this is happening. You know, I, I like to, to broaden the taste and yeah, when it comes to 
similar similarly I, with music but go ahead yeah i was just about to say like i i'm the, i'm in the same boat i used to be very picky when i was one of those kids my like the food on my plate couldn't touch so mm-hmm. um and i would say the same thing with music uh you shall not mix different genres and now i'm i will give pretty much anything a chance again i'm not big in the pop but like i didn't think i would ever like throw like like i said i mentioned uh, miss mr and dear rouge mm-hmm. like throwback 80s synth pop almost oh my god and you know what i mean i never yeah yeah but i i so those bands are throwback they're they're current but they're throwbacks to like that uh, age and even going back and listening to stuff that i wouldn't have given a chance to it's like this stuff is really really good i can't you know why why did i ever fight it and and it's the same thing um and and like so like i said i'll give just about anything because you never know like i'll give you an example so bruno uh, i'm not a big bruno mars fan i don't really okay. like a lot of his stuff i've i've listened to it it's just not my cup of tea mm-hmm. but uptown funk is freaking amazing oh yeah that yeah, song is song. so good it's like i i love 70s funk so like again one of those genres that i've discovered later in life but that song is so good and it's so singable and it's so yeah like that mark ronson guy man you know <laughs> and so but any uh, anything else by bruno mars like any other song i've ever heard i'm like mm, yeah where's uptown fuck man you know <laughs> totally so yeah. i i can like one song by the guy well he sings it but i guess mark ronson did, maybe did the arrangements and, and wrote a lot of the music to it but it's one of those things where i can like one song by an artist and i might hate everything else but if i would never have discovered that if i didn't like give it a chance right yeah you'll you'll be surprised often sometimes artists will redefine themselves as well they'll be like mm-hmm. oh that that's this band and it's just something and that can happen for, for better or for worse. I mean, you, you mentioned Nickelback earlier. I, I have, I have a lot to say about Nickelback actually. And we are, we are both, so you're from Newfoundland. My dad's from Newfoundland mm-hmm. too, but Thanks. when did you, when did you move to Alberta? Like how long have you lived here? Uh, I've been here about 20 years. Okay. So you definitely feel some pride towards Alberta too. Are you, are you aware that Nickelback is the pride of Hannah, Alberta? I am aware of that. <laughs> Hannah, the <laughs> tiny little town. It's like the yes. smallest. And so all, more people than you would expect actually have some story that relates them back to the Kroger brothers. You know, people say, oh, yeah, I knew his babysitter or, or my teacher would talk to him or I I had him as a student or something. Like you hear mm-hmm. whisperings of the, the lives that these dudes have touched. And in the, in the early 2000s, these guys were absolutely killing it and they were just this new canadian band that mm-hmm. that were sort of i think riding on a little bit on the coattails of the hard rock and grunge of the late 90s um yeah and yeah. it was a little something a little bit more aggressive uh, but not so hard that there was like screaming and stuff like that it was like a little bit more light but it was also hard so it's kind of a dichotomy yeah it's it's like a little bit it was a, it's a little bit hard rockish yeah totally kinda. that's that's a great way to say it and th- these guys but they're were... they were smart though like they like I, again i find their music like just derivative but it's one of those things like they're smart like that they, they, you want to talk about a band who is like made their money and knows who their fans are mm-hmm. and how to please them and generally does it that's like nickelback man like they're smart about what they do like yeah, they got a formula and they know what it is. 
later on in i think that it became the it never used to be the popular opinion that they're like the worst band in the whole world like that 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 but kind of not, though. that kind of uh discourse took place i think once they started releasing their two, uh, their 2010s album um mm-hmm. and that was noticeably more poppy in, in style it was it was almost like they had switched over to like try to sound a little bit more like maroon five or something like that they were trying to, and and that wasn't their own creative decision i i know a lot of a lot of some of the backstory of this was they had a record label that was really restrictive of them creatively like they i think that i think it was this it was nickelback that came to the record label with an entire album worth of material and then sent it mm-hmm. off to them to, to be you know confirmed and and to if let them know if they would smile upon this new work that they did and the record label said no you can't sound this is too much like your old stuff and we want you to sound completely different so they said you're out like a mil- however much money it took to uh, record the the record and just do it again they made them completely scrap it and start and start again and because oh, be, be, because they have all the power right because they're the ones distributing them and they're mm-hmm. the ones going to going to be helping with the tour and things like this. They mm-hmm. were slaves to that, you know. It's like they, they can't just say like, "Oh, well, we made this in our room, so we're just going to do it anyways." You know, they're kind of they're kind of a slave to the to the record label like that. And then you get these albums that come out that just sound nothing like what the fans like, or, or I guess what the Nickelback fans of of old would be familiar with. Right, and it ends up being this kind of watered down aimed at the aimed at pleasing the top 40 generation uh, of the time. And sometimes it can be ugly. And and I do think that I'm not a big fan of, of that side of their work, but I, Mm -hmm. I I do will, I I will apologize for Nickelback. I will be a Nickelback apologist. (laughs) Nickelback apologist. When it comes comes to like the, all the right reasons album um, and like silver side up, like, how you remind me that song is a classic and people, people listen to that song and everyone always says like, they always start singing along, you know, and even goddamn Donald Trump used a meme on Twitter of with, with look at this photograph um, as the music. Like, oh yeah. That's right. how you know that they're like icon status. Like he, 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 actually, yeah. he actually straight up yeah. and that was not with their permission either. They actually copyright striked that shit. Okay. Like well, it. good. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that's no, fine. Um, yeah. I mean, they definitely entered the pop culture consciousness and, oh, yeah. you know, they made an indelible mark. I, I tuned out of them long before. So I actually have no idea what you're talking about when, when you say like they changed their style in the 2010s. Oh, the earlier I, stuff. I, good, man. You would probably, I, I, I tuned out, I tuned out on them long before that. Um, my th- problem with them is i'm like oh new band okay cool all right this sounds pretty good and then second album comes along i'm like yeah it still sounds pretty good hopefully they do something different mm. and then third album comes out and it sounds the same and then the fourth album comes out and it sounds the same and i'm like okay yeah, uh, i'm kind of not on board with this anymore they 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 had some even the the vocal style like it's like his I, I think he ended up having some crazy vocal reconstruction surgery because he had some oh, really? cysts on his Oh, yeah, throat. I think I heard about that. Uh, he, he did have a super raspy, growly sound, which was 
mm-hmm. it's really hard to, to sing like with that technique and, and have, and have the aim of preserving your voice, right? Cause you are just growling, uh, and letting it out. And he was a great singer, but it did damage long-term and his voice sounds so much different now. It's almost like a different voice when you hear him doing the old songs. Like I, I, I this is actually not Nickelback, but it's, it's, it is Chad Kroger, the credits music to Spider-Man one, um, Sam Raimi. I will reference those movies often, but (laughs) yes, I know it's this special song called hero. Um, and it was done with Chad Kroger and Josie Scott. Yeah. Uh, I've heard of it. And I used to have it. And that one, it's like that. I think might be my favorite thing that Nickelback has. Well, it's not Nickelback. It's the, just the singer that's featured in there, but he's, he's on that song. and, And, I looked looked for live performances of that that were in the last few years, and it's like completely a different sound. Like it's almost like chipmunkified is the way that his voice sounds because mm-hmm. he did have all that. He had the cyst removed, and he, he he has some interviews where he talks about how different it, his voice was after that, and how he had to work with a vocal coach to sort of access a, a new register because when you have something like that removed, it's it's sort of it's like you're taking off weights or something, you know, you, you now have a new ceiling and a new bottom, um, for your range. That's interesting. So yeah. he, he, he said, and, and that definitely comes across, like it doesn't have that same grit anymore. It's more mm-hmm. like, like a pop singer more, but yeah, yeah I, I, I was thinking I mean, that's fair. back lately. So it's good to kind of get that <laughs> bring, to bring up you know who else is like that too in terms of their voice being different like steven tyler man mm, you go back mm. and listen to old aerosmith i had to google and see if they had a different uh lead singer mm. and because it's it's like if you listen to his rendition of dream on the original version oh yeah. and then later on when he sings it live it's com- it's like a completely different person singing it so it's inch i i I've often wondered if it's something happened. I mean, maybe other than drug use. I don't know. But something <laughs> you happened never know to, these to guys. him. Yeah, it's the whole. Yeah, because it's it's way, way, way different than than what the original sound like. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I imagine age does that to you too. I've often wondered how uh, metal singers keep doing it. Like specifically, Fear Factory. They've been around since 1991. Yeah, and they're still going. And the guy is as. <sighs> He's screamy and gravelly yeah. and noisy as he was at the beginning. So I'm like, how do you like not kill your voice? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I wish I could give you some sort of mystical understanding of that and, and yeah, say that, okay. oh yes, it, it's to do with this. But I, I once knew a guy that I didn't know him actually. We just, I ran into him and he, we ended up jamming actually li- later in the night, but he had a, the, t- the technique down. Like he knew how to sing like that. And if you've ever mm-hmm. been in the presence of it, my God, it's, if it's if it's not like a concert, like a concert is one thing where you know they're mm-hmm. they're yelling or they're screaming into the mix, and it's like it sounds amazing because it's into the big speakers. But if it's just a guy sitting beside you, it is crazy. It's like you've got you press the distortion button on a human voice, and it's like yeah. you just start yeah. f- starts wailing. And it's actually, it, it, I didn't have an appreciation for that until I felt a little bit. I think more angry towards the world as teenagers do. Like, like you said, like it's not something that it's kind of jarring and it's an acquired taste listening to that screaming. Yeah. It's like kind of like distorted vocals. And I, I think that a lot of people will, are just turned off by it because 
<laughs> it is quite jarring at first, but then you, you kind of get an ear for it and you can start to tell this is good screaming and this is bad screaming. And I, and I, yes. I, I thought that was, yes. that was cool. And you, you start yep. to like see, Oh, well, at the beginning of this guy's screaming career, he, he actually wasn't great, but now he's really good. And then I, I just think there is a lot of nuance to the style and there's all these different kind of dialects to the scream, you know, uh, there, there's a great video. I think it's this, this like kind of YouTube dude, Jared Dines. He's like one of those YouTube bros. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not a huge, hugely into his channel, but my favorite thing I did see from him was like, it was like all the different types of screaming or something, or like t- the top 10 types of screaming. And he just, he kind of <laughs> makes a song and it, w- with every genre, like switch, it's like all screaming, but he, he switches very subtly and sometimes not so subtly just all these different types and, and you can really see the, the range of it. I would recommend watching that. It's, I think, I think it's him, J- Jared Dines and it's like screaming okay. or something. I, I don't know. He, he I'm sure well, it has a, a patent load of views. I remember uh, seeing an interview uh, with the lead singer of Arch Enemy, who um, is one of the f- maybe five or six female led metal bands that I, that wow. I know of, I'm sure there's tons, uh, tons more, but those are the ones that I know of. And her thing, she was saying in an interview, and she's really good at screaming, but uh, they asked her like how she sings like that. And her thing was, okay, um, she's like, just start off like whisper. And they're like, so they start whisper and she's like, okay, now do it really loudly. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. it's just like hers, hers was just like whisper and then like an escalated whisper and she could do like, she does it so really well that, you know, cool. Yeah. Like it's, it's metal, right? I'm not it's, even it's familiar screaming. with a lot of girls screamers. I, I would love to tr- listen to that. There's arch enemy. There is uh OTEP. Those are the mm-hmm. two big ones. There is Once Human and um, not so much um, uh, Unleash the Archer. She's more clean singing. Okay. Um, but there's more There's more than... Oh, uh, Rage of Light is another one too. Cool, uh, yeah. I'd have to check a lot but of yeah, those. Yeah, they're all uh, women-led metal bands. And uh, they're very... Yeah, they're very good at screaming. Uh, also, too, back in the day, there was a uh, metal band called Kitty. <laughs> um the late 90s to the early 2000s they haven't put out anything in a long time but they were uh they're quite heavy too i got i got some of them their stuff too but yeah it's just it's it's interesting how they they um how how you know the techniques for saying that i was gonna say that uh um metal specifically though and and people think is it just angry and screaming they're like you know, you're a pretty chill guy. What do you listen to angry stuff? And yeah, I, I personally find it quite cathartic. Mm-hmm. So that I, I feel like that's like, that's another thing music can be, you know, for somebody it's like Absolutely. a cathartic release. Cause it's like, you know, with all the kind of crappy stuff sometimes going along in the world with racism and violence and, and selfishness and war and stuff like that, you know, you listen to stuff and a lot of metal actually is quite uplifting, but you listen to stuff sometimes where it's like, they're just screaming and it's like, yes, this is how I feel right now. And now I feel better. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I, I think that that goes deeper than even just one genre or just like, you know, the feeling of having pent up anger and then having it released. Like you, you that's sort of the goal as a composer that you reach some point of catharsis, like even just from the very beginning of, of, 
your songwriting process. Like you, you want you, if you're what's, that's kind of some of the stuff that I'll teach is that if you, it's like whether you're playing a set of chords or whether you're playing a, a solo, you want to give people this feeling of, uh, of an arc, you know, like what, where did it start? What happened in the middle? Where was the Mm -hmm. struggle? And then what kind of resolution occurred or not resolution? Like what kind of tension is still there? Like, or did it completely resolve or or all these different questions that you can lead the listener on and, you know, whatever your intention is, it it will translate in, in some capacity. It might not be the same arc that you envisioned, Maybe you mm-hmm. didn't envision it, but that exactly, you said it exactly right. The catharsis is, I think a, if someone was to describe music and music, one word, you know, it would be that just like. Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, I was going to like, I went through like uh, a lot of depression when I was younger too. And like music helped me out a ton. And it's funny because I didn't listen to happy stuff. I listened to Nine Inch Nails or like Fade Black by yeah, Metallica or uh, some like stuff that, you know, was sad or like uh, almost anything by typo negative because uh, they're goth metal. But, uh, you know, what helped me, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, I'm not the only one who feels like mm-hmm. this. And it's it was, you know, it made me feel like I wasn't alone or, you know, or dealing with heartbreak too, like. Um, almost anything by Adele. Yeah, the humanity. Because <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's it's um or um uh um uh what's her name? Sing son of a preacher man. Um, oh, I can't think of her name right now. I, I know that. I but, told uh, you the song, but yes. Uh, so anyway, uh, same thing with her. Her name slips my mind right now. I'm gonna kick myself later, but um. She's got a lot of stuff like that too. She's a similar artist, but also there's um, a really, really great song, uh, "Old School Motown" that I also really like. Uh, Tracks of My Tears by Smokey Robinson. Oh, and the Smokey! Miracles. Yeah, that's that's some yeah. It's stuff. a great, it's a great breakup song, and it just it's one of those things that it just you know again like it gives you the that catharsis, mm-hmm. right? And that's one of the things that music has always been for me. It's very, it's a very personal individualistic thing that uh i don't uh intensely share with everyone but uh you know it's given me a lot of comfort and and like i said catharsis over the span of my life yeah yeah it's it's super profound i think it's such a beautiful thing you know music characterizes such an important part of people's lives, whether they, you know, classify themselves as a musician or as, you know, a critic of of music, you know, or not, it's, it's just, it's a part of everyone's life and you can't escape it. You know, there's not a lot, unless you're some monk that's purposely living without (laughs) sound for like months on end, you're, you're just subject to music, whether you like it or not. It's like, that's why it's such a, so accurate to say that it's, it's a marketplace because, you know, you hear it at the grocery store you hear it just as wallpaper everywhere you know and yeah you kind of can you can base a lot of periods of your life like you said it can transport you around the music you were into like i feel that way like you'll go back and listen to an album from that was so important to you at at in 2011 or something like that like and then Mm -hmm. it's it's almost like 
you, it's like, you're seeing a picture of yourself from 10 years ago. It's like, you kind of remember, Oh, I remember what that guy was like. Like, I remember that, that outfit, or I remember that, that haircut. And it's like, sometimes you don't like to to see that. And it's, and with music, it's like, you can kind of look back and it's like, was this actually good? Like, did I, do I actually still like this now? And for me, a lot of the time it does hold up with, you know, it does pass the test. I, I have, I have this, the nostalgia just comes back and then you remember sort of things that start bubbling to the surface that you weren't thinking about it before you started hearing the music. So it's like triggers all these memories. It's so beautiful. I, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. I think too, uh, it, it's, um, can also kind of convey the time, like when it, when it came out, mm-hmm. like Motown yeah. was big in the, like really big in the sixties and seventies or disco in the late seventies, early eighties, or, uh, the you know rock when it was new in the fifties or um jazz in the twenty twenty twenties and thirties mm-hmm. or um classical like hundreds or I don't know a thousand but hundreds of years ago um you know it's it's uh, a or, or like as we talked about or like uh, heavy synth in the eighties yeah. it was very you know it's one of those it's a product of its mm-hmm. time it can still hold up but it's like yeah, that kind of reminds me, and it, I guess it sort of speaks to that, you know, evoking memories and transporting you, but it, it kind of reminds you of what the world was like in that particular point in time, especially if it's, if the music is politically charged oh, in yeah. any way, Absolutely. but even if it's, even if it's not like the Beatles for a lot of people or Elvis for that matter, evoke what the sixties were like, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I wasn't alive then, but for the people who were, um, it kind of, you know, it, it brings forth that like sort of what the world was like at the time, mm-hmm. which is, I think, is like another pretty powerful thing about it. Yeah, I feel like we've touched on a lot of great topics here. It's in it very naturally, too. I mean, it's like so exciting to talk about music with people. It's very <laughs> easy for me to to just ramble on mm-hmm. and on about it. But yeah, I f- feel like we we got a lot covered here. I think so too. Uh, anything else that you can think uh, that you uh, want to talk about, or I think we pretty I think much we got, got it pretty much got it covered. Okay, before I before we sign out here, is there anything you want to plug? Or, oh yeah, uh, you okay. Know, anything? So you can find most of my social media at Don J Bartlett. D-O-N-J and then B-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. You can. I have a website called DonJBartlett.com. Uh, and you can find my projects there as well as if you are interested in taking lessons, <laughs> I am offering online lessons throughout this pandemic situation. So that is open to worldwide customers. And nice. yeah, I, I'd be happy to set up some kind of meeting with people if, if they're interested and you can find my my youtube channel uh, don j bartlett i recently put out this big medley of five studio ghibli uh, pieces um from nice. from hayao miyazaki and and joe hisaishi and that was a big project that i was working on from april until about um end of july so you can see my project there and enjoy that one and yeah that's pretty much it excellent so with all that said thanks for joining us this week please like comment subscribe if you're able rate the podcast wherever you listen 
or if there's something you really want to talk about, email me at conferculture at gmail.com. That's C-O-N-F-E-R-C-U-L-T-U-R-E at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Chris. I'm Don. And this has been Confer Culture. Confer Culture.